Hey, welcome back to the Common Ground North Dakota podcast. I'm Heather. And I'm Jen. I've been a chef for 10 years. And I'm a registered dietitian. We've all heard the saying, farm to table. But what if the conversation was table to farm? Join Jen and I as we sit down with ag experts to dig in and find out more about North Dakota agriculture. All right, welcome back. Another episode of Common Ground. Yeah, we're here back again in the studio. Yes. Well, we have another registered dietitian with us yes, today. Yes, I'm so excited. We're really excited about our guest today, Megan Myrtle. Welcome. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Yeah. So, Megan, tell us about like you. Your, <laughs> your connection Seriously. to like agriculture. Where did you grow up? Your resume, it reads like a dream. Your oh, resume right. to me. It's you. amazing. So yeah, walk <laughs> us through. How did you get here? Um, well, thank you again so much for having me. Thrilled to be here. And Jen and I know each other from a while back with yeah. our dietitian days. And Heather, I've followed the work that you're doing in the chef world. So it's, it's super fun to be here. Um, so I am a North Dakota girl. I grew up on a family farm up in Northeast North Dakota. So my family raises um, a variety of different grain crops. We had cattle when I was younger, but we transitioned out of that as a lot of families yeah. did. Okay. Um, and then in when I got to college at Concordia, I decided I was interested in food and nutrition, very much based on kind of my upbringing mm-hmm. and caring about where food was grown and eating well. My grandmother had a huge influence on my life, which is something I found is a very common theme for a lot of people. They had a grandparent that really Mm -hmm. instilled in them the gardening and home cooking and balanced meals that kind of transitioned into food philosophies that we carry today. So I studied at Concordia. I studied nutrition and dietetics and then got my master's in nutrition at NDSU. Okay. And after that, or in the mix of all that, were Mm -hmm. a variety of different experiences that have all, sometimes when I talk about, when you say my resume reads like a dream, it's like, oh, sweet, because I feel like (laughs) it reads like a sporadic (laughs) nutcase in some ways. (laughs) Everybody has different journeys, I feel like. Yeah, mine's been a bit of a roller coaster. But so many projects, but they all do kind of relate to food. They do. Were these things that you created? Were these opportunities that came to you? A little bit of both? A bit of both. You know, um, I feel really lucky with some of the places I've gotten to work and the groups of people I've gotten to work with. Um, with Food of the North, which I know we'll talk a little bit about today, an awesome group of people, some that were very food focused, but some that were more creative types like graphic designers and social media experts, which really bringing together that variety of skill sets really catalyzed a lot of things. Um, I'm not sure if any of you have done Strength Finder before. Yes, I love Strength Finder. <laughs> tell me, tell me. I feel like that's how I got to my role too. And our roles are very similar. So We're maybe dietetics, we philanthropists. This... Yes. Like, yeah, tell us about your experience with it. Well, maybe we have the same strength. So I remember seeing that and I felt, or doing that, and I felt so mm-hmm. seen when it came up. Yes. My number one is activator, which means yes. that like, I just can't wait to start yes. doing something. Okay. Same. So I'm like, this explains a lot because like things just have happened. Um, But yeah, I've uh, I've been involved. My career started with the Extension Service, the North Dakota State University Extension, which was an awesome career starting place. I got to really work in a community and work on food and nutrition projects and collaborate with a lot of people, which was wonderful to really understand your place and understand all the different people that are working together to make change happen. 
when I was living out in Bismarck, got to be part of starting a farmer's market out there, which was really one of my first big projects, getting involved in like the local food movement. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's not easy. No, No. but it was such a great, I mean, it was Parks and Rec, it was Extension, it was local farmers that were all working together to build this effort. And then when I moved back to Fargo, um, kind of got started in that same space, working on a local food policy council, helped to start the Red River Market, which was one of our farmer's markets there. And then that just transitioned into really um, what what I say is that these places just attracted like-minded people who are passionate and interested about food and local food and um, just wanting to, to build more things around that. So that blossomed into food of the north and little free gardens and midwest mediterranean and now my career at ndsu where i do philanthropy for the college of agriculture so it's it's blossomed or been a roller coaster however you want to (laughs) put it but it's been a it's been a fun journey so far so megan we're wondering about your current position with ndsu and your philanthropic work and how you're promoting agriculture and what you see in the future coming down the line with your current work. Cool. Yeah. So I have been with the NDSU Foundation for a little over three years. I'm working in development for the College of Agriculture. So that means that I work to support the philanthropic priorities of all things NDSU agriculture, which includes the university where we're training students in a whole variety of different agriculture disciplines, animal science, precision agriculture, crop and weed science, microbiology. Wow. Yeah, the full gamut to our agriculture experiment stations. North Dakota State University has seven agriculture experiment stations across the state of North Dakota. Dickinson, um, uh, Minot, Carrington, Langdon, Mm -hmm. that looks at the production of different crops and livestock in those specific places and applying different research methods to enhance Um, agriculture to the extension service that is is disseminating research and education out to people in a variety of different ways to the 4-H program, which is instilling agriculture knowledge and um, kind of building that base of young people that care about food and farming. So I love what I do. Um, I get to work on scholarships that bring more students to NDSU to study agriculture, work on supporting faculty programs, um, so it's it's an awesome job and just seeing how much agriculture is changing. And as we know, agriculture has such an opportunity to be such a source for good for mm-hmm. so many um, challenges that we're facing in the world today. And when right. you're talking with researchers and then the students that are involved in those projects that are working on soil health and mm-hmm. doing a better job of using different rotations and cover oh, crops yeah. and no-till methods to how we can be more precise in our applications of our different crop protection methods, to how we can incorporate livestock in a way that they're not villainized in the food system, but right. they're incorporated in a way that's really doing good by the land. And they're, they're, it's, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's so much good that happens within our university system and the work that they're doing there. So it's really fun to get to, to be in the place where you're getting to, to work on those projects, but then to get out and talk with businesses and alumni and friends about how yeah. they can support. I would guess that connectedness might be one of your strengths. You Perhaps. Know, 
Perhaps. Um, I, I do love uh, connecting people and connecting yeah. things together, but uh, I don't think that came in my top five. So maybe it's like number six. Or something. <laughs> it's got to be, it's gotta be <laughs> it's number gotta six. Be. It's got to be. But you should do Strength Bender. It. It's so I got to do it. Yeah. But I think connected because when I look at all your projects, so many of them are based around community. Mm-hmm. Like right. That mm-hmm. seems like something that's really important to you. Well, I've I mean, I stumbled into this world um, by by incredible luck because I really believe that the people who care about food and farming are some of the absolute best people in the world. They yeah. are passionate and driven by so many things. There's a sensibility from people who come from farming backgrounds. There's a work ethic that's involved in that. And I just love working in this group of people. So that's been just such a joy for this. I find that to be true, too. I agree. If people I... love food, they're good people, yeah. right? Isn't that a Julia Child quote? The people who love to eat are the best people? Yes. <laughs> yes, she knew. Love she it. knew. <laughs> so t- you mentioned that a lot of this came from your relationship with your grandma. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I had the same thing. You that's did. who my son is named after. My mm-hmm. grandma, Henrietta. Aww. Now I have a Henry. Anyway, she like, you know, taught me all there is to know about like canning mm-hmm. and gardening Same. and talked about her hard work and mm-hmm. what she did when she grew up. So tell me about your grandma a little bit. So my grandma's wonderful. She's 94 years old. Awesome. Um, so she's a little bit uh, not quite the same as she was during yeah, my younger yeah. years. But uh, she lived on the family farm where I spent a ton of time growing up. My dad, we lived in town, but we yep. drive out to the farm and you'd basically get left at grandma's all day yep. to <laughs> learn from grandma days. and hang out. That's yeah. great. <laughs> to weed in her garden yep. and help her make bread and all of those things. I didn't realize it at the time, but she had been very counterculture when the world became much more convenience in food. She very much pushed away against that and wanted to make things homemade, saving yeah. foods that were grown on the farm. Um, tried to not just follow the fast food movement and mm-hmm. and was a slow food movement before the slow food movement was a thing. So and that was normal to you? It was growing up learning my, that? Kind of. My family, we definitely env- embraced the more okay, convenience yeah. fast food culture. <laughs> um, I love my parents and they both are great cooks too, but we definitely mm-hmm. were more that. But it was just it was just kind of fun and it seemed uh, it seemed special being at grandma's. Yeah. And then when I got to Concordia and was studying nutrition and dietetics, she started giving me Michael Pollan books. Which Ooh, I is love like, your grandma. I know, cool. right? Like, which grandma gives their nineteen-year-old yes. <laughs> granddaughter Michael Pollan? <laughs> That's awesome. It was, and that was like a pretty eye-opening experience. And then she brought my sister and I. I had an aunt that was living in San Francisco, and she okay. brought us to California, and we got to eat at Chez Panisse, which Ooh, I'm guessing your <laughs> yeah. yes, yes. And then gave us the Alice Waters cookbook, and it was just like. Like, I think back on that now and like knowing what I know about the food world, I'm like my little grandmother living up in Northeast North Dakota who introduced us to these like profound thinkers and profound movements in food. It was just like so lucky. Very lucky. lucky. Yeah. So so those were really transformative experiences um, that really helped to shape, you know, how I think about food and how I do the work that I do. But one of the things, so my grandmother was a politician too. She was oh, lieutenant governor of North Dakota. What? <laughs> yeah. No way. Just doing a little bit of this and I that. Mean, yeah, she's, that's awesome. She's, uh, I've been told not to swear. So she's a, she's a bad, uh, <laughs> we know, you know, we know what she is. <laughs> she would also oh. frown upon me saying that. So I, I won't. <laughs> um, but she always believed that you should never do anything. Like if you do something and it ends up where people are feeling unwell or unsettled yeah. or upset at the end, you have not done your proper job as a public servant. Mm -hmm. So always bringing people together, having conversations. And we know if we work in food and agriculture, Mm -hmm. there are some tough conversations that are had out there. 
And she was just always listening to people, slow forward motion, trying to do good, trying to do right by your community, trying to do right by your neighbor. Mm -hmm. And I've just so appreciated that she kind of brought that philosophy to the work that she did. And I, I have not done anywhere near what she has done, but you know, it's just kind of been a thought that I try to keep with me in yeah. this in this world. I think you can see it in your work. I absolutely can see that connection. Well, thank you. Yes, and doing right by your neighbors. Like, tell us a little bit more about food for food of the food. north. So it started as ugly food, right? Yeah. Which yeah, I, I love. Awesome. I love ugly food. My, I I think the uglier the apple, the better I the agree. apple. The red delicious is not so no, delicious. It right? isn't. <laughs> no. I mean, great marketing, right? Uh-huh. But I want that gnarly looking. Those are the ones I go for. Absolutely. And same with tomatoes, right? Yes. These perfectly yes. round red tomatoes. And then they taste like cotton. I know, right? you t- Those super yes. gnarly, ugly ones. They taste amazing. So back in 2015, we, um, so I mentioned that I was part of a group that volunteered to start up the Red River Market. Yeah. And so got really connected with this group of local growers and was working with them um, to, you know, set up their produce stands and kind of get things rolling there. And, you know, you'd go and look at their little 10 foot Mm -hmm. booth and look at their produce and kind of comment on things. And it sparked a conversation with the growers about the large amount that they don't bring to retail because they know that people won't buy it and how they either um, eat it themselves or it Mm -hmm. ends up in the compost pile or it's used to feed animals. And of course, our small scale local farmers are pretty thoughtful about where their food is going. Mm -hmm. But it kind of perked my interest into looking into this issue and it sparked this well, just long journey of learning more about the issue of food waste in America and that ugly food is a component of that. But essentially 40% of food in America goes to waste for a whole variety of- Wow, 40%. 40%. And in America, most of that happens at the retail or consumer level. So the choices that you and I Uh, make at the grocery store, in restaurants, mm -hmm. and then in our homes. Yep. So um, that really prompted an interest in kind of bringing more awareness in our community. And there's a lot of amazing national campaigns Mm -hmm. around food food waste. Um, the Environmental Protection Agency and and different groups do a lot of things. But I think there's value in that local approach, you right, know, right. knowing your community, bringing people together for learning. Mm-hmm. So a group of us just decided to start Ugly Food of the North. Oh, I love it. But it really, it didn't, we weren't supposed to be anything. It was supposed to be a one-time event. Yeah. So we were going to have this Ugly Food Day at the farmer's market, encourage yeah. all the farmers to bring their ugly food, bring those three-legged carrots and misshapen yeah, yeah. tomatoes. We put little googly guys on love things. It. <laughs> love it the was, carrots. It was yeah. super Super fun. And then we two days later, we had a potluck where we encouraged the people who had bought their ugly food, bring yeah. something, share Brilliant. it. Cool. Okay. And it ended up being like a smash success. Like the Fargo Forum did a front page story That's on it. That's so awesome. A hundred people showed up for the potluck and wow. we're like, oh gosh, we're onto something here. That's cool. So then we just kept doing stuff. So oh, I love it. we had um we had conversations about composting. Um, we had people, we did like a leftover Thanksgiving where like use your Thanksgiving leftovers and make it into something and bring it for a potluck. And we just started doing all these different events to bring people together to learn and connect around food. Yeah. And then it just kind of started to transform where we started broadening out more beyond food waste okay. and having conversations just much more broadly about the food system, gardening, culinary yeah. arts, hunger. Mm-hmm. It just became this larger um, larger so, group. And then so you renamed Food of the North at that point, kind of because you were seeing a bigger perspective? Yeah, okay. yeah. So so we had the ugly food name. 
we started having these broader conversations and then we added in an additional project called Little Free Gardens. Yes. Which was um, an idea that we had, you know, so many of the conversations we were having, I mean, they were important and they were they were meaningful conversations, but it was a lot about the negative in our food system. We have hung- issues of hunger, mm-hmm. we have issues of waste, yeah. we have issues of overweight and obesity, all these mm-hmm. things. And we were yep. talking and learning about that, but we're like, let's do something tangible that feels really positive, that's kind of represents a really good aspect of food and what we want to symbolize with food. And so we decided to do something called Little Free Gardens. And if you're familiar with Little Free Libraries, um, it's where people put a small little library in their front yard and it's take a book, share a book. Mm -hmm. Um, We decided to do the same concept, but with gardening. So put a small little garden in your front yard or in front of your place of business, Grow the food in there, and then the food is free for the taking. That's oh, awesome. That's yeah. so great. And I love so, it. if I wanted a little free garden, mm-hmm. your organization would help me get it set up Absolutely. and everything going. Yep. So we have cool. a website, littlefreegarden.com. So we have how to build your garden and all the specifics on there. If you want to register your garden with us, we send you a little placard so that it's on our database so that people can go on a map and see where all the little free what? gardens are located. So smart. How many what? do you have? About 360. What? What? In yeah. Fargo? Um, they're all over the country, actually. Really? And we actually have a couple up in Canada and a few over in um, Europe, too. So what? I have that's no- amazing. And that's awesome. And I have no idea how they found out about it, but they registered gardens and we were like ecstatic. So. I think, I think um, Mackinac, North Dakota, they Galahad's Garden. Yes. So Galahad. I don't know if, yeah, so Galahad is my mini horse. <laughs> we found out today that Jen has a mini horse and it's all we can talk about okay well i feel like the conversation just needs to completely shift (laughs) to mini horse right now (laughs) but he could have a mini garden i mean galahad's garden he helped top off the carrots he could do all carrots he could eat all the ugly food all the way yeah i mean he promotes like that sort of thing i I think it'd be great (laughs) he's a promoter of gardens and green and but whatever that, farming (laughs) what what a great project i was looking at little free gardens um uh, Instagram page and I was seeing some oh, pictures they're and so cool. one of my favorites was the one that said the cilantro's ready help yourself mm-hmm. like I just thought of myself yes. going on a walk mm-hmm. and walking by one of these little gardens and being able to oh mm-hmm. it just made me so happy and what a great thing for the community it is it's been so cool and like some of the ways that people have gotten creative with their own gardens yeah. some neighborhoods have come together and being like I'll plant these herbs you plant the tomatoes you plant the peppers like and then people salsa? can come a salad garden a salsa garden the salsa cul-de-sac yeah. <laughs> Let's plan who's planting what. I have a lot of ideas here around this. (laughs) But we also, like, we have a community uh, in Bonners Ferry, Idaho, that was, like, this strong community gardening organization that contacted us, and they got... 30 businesses to put little free gardens in front of their place of business. So there's 30 little free gardens in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. That's wow. so cool. I know. It was awesome. And and they send us pictures and they're just, some of them are just single pots that have a tomato up, plant out yeah. front. Some of them are these more robust gardens. Because San Diego, there's a little area in San Diego that has about 10 community or little free gardens. That's, That's so, so great. Awesome. And I guess I never even thought for businesses. You mm-hmm. know, we're always looking for ways to build culture within yeah, absolutely. your business. That would be a great way, right? Mm-hmm. With your coworkers planting and watering. Yes. and Absolutely. And a lot of businesses have actually started to do that. Have 
have little gardens that are for their employees that right. some tend to and then some harvest from and then maybe they have like a little salsa day like you yeah, said at the fun. office but that would make you not want to work from home like I would want to go, <laughs> go into the, the office if well, I could right. get produce totally I feel like that's healthy too to get you away from the desk like 100%. the screen I know some of us get screen fatigue oh, get and just outside. do something healthy like mm-hmm. and you're growing plants you're connecting with the earth. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we talk about with Little Free Gardens, mm-hmm. most so you can make them as big or as small as you want. Are mm-hmm. the boxes that we have as like the prototype on our mm-hmm. website are a two by four square raised bed garden. Okay. So you can get about eight plants in there, right? Okay. Or um to kind of just depending on what you're growing. So it isn't a huge amount of food, right? right? Like this isn't going to be feeding the masses. Right. Sure. But we talk about more about what it symbolizes yes. in terms of the sharing of food, the sharing of healthy food, mm-hmm. the idea that everybody should have access to good, nutritious, healthy food. Yes. And a lot of people um, that we've talked to do this with their kids and being able to kind of That's talk fun. about why they're doing it and right. what the, the purpose behind the garden is, right. that not everybody has that in their lives. And we're a very yeah. fortunate mm-hmm. family that can afford to buy fruits and vegetables, but right. this is some way that we can provide this to maybe our neighbors who don't have that. And Megan, don't you feel like as a dietitian too, like if people and kids especially are introduced to how to grow it, they're mm-hmm. more interested in it and they're like, oh, my bean plant is growing mm-hmm. and now it has pods. Yeah. Or like it's really exciting to them and then they're more likely to eat that. Right. Uh, a thousand percent. Yeah. yeah. I remember when I worked for the extension service and we had a junior master gardener program. Yes. So you'd have these little kids come each week and you'd work in the garden together. And I've never seen kids more excited about yes. eating kohlrabi. Like they were just like, <laughs> that's a thing. I going man. for it. I grew this, oh. you know, it was their kohlrabi. And yeah. Yeah, some of, I mean, you look at a kohlrabi, you're like, that's a pretty funky looking. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're most kids in. would dig that. But, but it like, is delicious and crunchy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and if you close your eyes, it could kind of be like a potato chip totally. if you put a little salt on it. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Right. They're delicious. Mm-hmm. So, so many layers to that program that yeah, is coming out of it. It's been it's been really fun. And I think I'm sure you experience the same thing in the chef world that cooking with kids, as yeah. we know, I was uh, in a I've done some cooking demonstrations and I love cooking with kids and encouraging people to look at um, ways that you can incorporate kids in the kitchen and looking at it as your project or your activity together. And I did one with my niece where she made black bean hummus. And if you and if you looked at it at the end, it looked like mud, you know, and she took a big spoonful of it. She's proud. This is so good. I I love it. Yeah. Tears rolls down my cheek. I've never been so proud. I know. Right. (laughs) But but if she wouldn't have made that right, like if you would have approached her with this, she would have never touched it. But the fact that you Mm -hmm. went through the steps and yeah, that is true. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love so, it. Well, okay, speaking of cooking, I yes. brought my copy of your cookbook. You yeah, I'm oh, hoping you can sign it later. Too. I'd love to. <laughs> so it's called Midwest Mediterranean. And this to me was brilliant oh, because yes. I love that olive oil. It's incredible. Yeah. But what a way to connect it to our region, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because yep. we grow so many beans and legumes and all this great food. Yeah. Yep. We can have a Mediterranean diet in the Midwest, and right? it's such a healthy diet diet from a dietitian perspective there's so many studies out there to say hey this is good for your heart this is good for 
you know, weight, health, just health in general, right? I mean, would you say it's one of the most well-researched diets on the planet? I would say so. Um, And it just, for every stage of life, for every condition of life, it's basically a universal diet plan. But one of the things I love about it so much is it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of eating. You don't feel deprived. It isn't this bland, sacrificial labor. Yeah. It's it's, delicious and simple, right? So simple. But the thing that was really exciting about this, so so this olive oil was kind of the impetus for okay. this book project. One of the authors of the book, Peter Schultz, he's been importing this Greek olive oil into the Fargo community for over 20 years. Wow. He lived and studied over there, got to know the olive farmer, worked with him to press the olives and make the oil and loved it and wanted to bring it back and share it with his family. And it's just started to organically grow into this greater Everyone business. Everyone wanted it. Yeah. I, was te- I brought Jen in a bottle today. I know. I'm awesome. so excited. Because I've ordered cases the past two years i learned about it at burn bombs Mm -hmm. and their dressing is insane oh yeah and it's the olive oil i mean it's a lot of things Mm -hmm. but the olive oil is the main ingredient and Mm -hmm. so that's what turned me on to the olive oil and then hearing the story i just Mm -hmm. well it's It's all about relationships i feel like and like getting to know your food Mm -hmm. and where it comes from and that relationship and i feel like that's like at the heart of north dakota yeah 100 so i mentioned that food of the north um so some of the work we do is a monthly event called First Fridays. And it's a community conversation that we have the first Friday of the month, a different theme around food and farming. And about three years ago, um, we had a conversation about global is local. And it was about some companies in our community, um, particularly a coffee company and then this olive oil company Mm -hmm. that are providing a local product that we can't produce here in our community. Because I've been a very strong local food advocate, but I love olive oil. I love chocolate. I love coffee. I'm not going to live without those things. And so they talked about how you can source those things in really thoughtful ways. And they talked about how they've traveled to these countries, they've met the farmers, they Mm. see the process, and they feel really good about bringing this back. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so Peter, with his olive oil, he's like, I'd really love to build upon this. Let's do something together where you're using local food and making a product, but using the olive oil. And so I was like, okay, well, beans and grains are a huge part of the Mediterranean diet. Mm -hmm. And they're couple of the most abundantly grown products in this region. So I made a a salad called the Midwest Mediterranean bean salad. And it was three different types of beans, which we know North Dakota and Minnesota are the top producing region in this country for dry edible beans. We grow a whole variety of grains here. And then in the seasonal months, we have an abundance of produce too. So it's utilizing all of that local, the tomatoes, cucumbers, onions that our gardens are just booming with. And then using some of the Mediterranean staples like olive oil, feta cheese, um, olives, um, and balsamic vinegar and kind of blending those flavors together. And so I made it a few times. We did it as a demonstration and everyone's like, this is so good. And it was like, are we on to something? Is this something that people would be really interested in and, and kind of blending the foods from there with the foods from here and kind of talking about it in a way that's about health, but also about deliciousness, all about celebrating the foods of there and here. And then it kind of just blossomed into our book that came out last fall. Last fall. And it's presented in such a unique way. I love that because it's a cookbook, but then there's a lot of great information in there mm-hmm. about the ingredients. So we have six different authors um, who each cool. bring their own perspective to the book. So 
Um, Peter has been importing olive oil for Greece, but he's also an art historian and um, s- talks a lot about the the origins of the Mediterranean diet okay. and what from a historical perspective we know where these different foods came from and like the first traces of the use of olive cool. oil and those things, which for some people they find really, really fascinating. Yeah. Um, I'm a dietitian, so mm-hmm. I talk about, you know, like what is the Mediterranean yeah. diet? What's the research? What are these different foods and how can we incorporate them? You know, kind mm-hmm. of our dietitian basics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a heart, um, a cardiologist who really like drives into the that was really where the Mediterranean diet first got yes. a lack of rec- recognition back in the 1960s and 70s, mm-hmm. where they were just looking at trends and seeing that people in this region of the world had lower instances mm-hmm. of cardiovascular events um, and were living longer and healthier lives. So it started driving yep. an immense amount of okay. research. Um, you said you're really interested in gut health. Um, there is a um, a doctor who is a part of this book who talks a lot about the gut microbiome yep. and how... Um, the foods of the Mediterranean diet are really wonderful for n- nourishing that gut and yep. feeding that healthy gut it's microbiome. It's just good for everything. Mm-hmm. It's really it amazing. Is. Yeah. And then we have a, a local farmer, she, uh, Noreen Thomas. She's from Doubting Thomas Farm, just north of Moorhead. She raises a whole variety of different um, grains, organic grains, which are and talks about the process she uses as a farmer to not only grow for production and yield, but also growing for nutrition and flavor. Mm -hmm. And she's done some studies to look at her grains in comparison to others and this higher um, nutritional value that they have because of some of her production methods. Which is incredible, right? I love Noreen and Mm -hmm. I love how modest she is, that she's quietly doing these things. And like I was telling Jen before the show, I said, some of her ingredients Dan Barber uses at his yeah. restaurant in New York. Well, the book yeah. has a little preface from no Dan big deal, Barber. no big deal. There he is. That's um, awesome. I know. I, so when she told us that that was happening, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> can you believe it? Like Dan Barber's yes. name is like associated That's with so the deal. Awesome. Yeah. It's so great, but I I think it's well deserved because mm-hmm. what you're doing is is important. Yeah. When you go to his restaurant in New York City, one of the best restaurants in the, the world, world. It, it like it'll be Noreen's oats. As like the menu oh, item. Oh, I love it. Yeah, he's been out to her farm. He comes to North Dakota. He's cool. actually working quite closely with some of our NDSU researchers on more of this breeding for flavor idea that oh, he's love it. yeah that he's trying to implement in a more broad scale. Um, and then the last author is a um, a mental health practitioner because oh. of all the research on the Mediterranean yes. diet and and brain health. Brain really, health. I didn't know that piece. Yeah, yeah. Tons. There's the the dementia, mm-hmm. Alzheimer's piece, but then there's also like the mental well-being piece mm-hmm. too. Oh my God. Yeah. Let's open the olive oil up and just have, take a poll. I know, take, I'm kind of getting we? hungry. If Peter was here, we would. He'd be like, all right, <laughs> yeah, let's take a let's shot. Do it. Let's do it. Shots of olive oil all around. Good for you. But I like how you shine, you're shining a light too on, some, like we know that beans mm-hmm. are grown here, but mm-hmm. I don't know if a lot of people know that. Right. You know, we, we got to start thinking about the ingredients that we have here. I remember reading an article about a local farmer who was growing cranberry beans mm-hmm. and shipping them all off to Europe. And mm-hmm. I thought, I want some of those. Yeah. You know, I, I want to buy those. I think there is a huge opportunity for someone here to start um, packaging and marketing beans yes. uh, for for local sale because... Mm-hmm. I mean, so many of our growers are are producing those and then they're going to mass yep. distribution like yep. our Bush's beans and those types. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think that it would be because we grow 
10 different types of dryable beans in this yeah, region. It's such and, a variety. And cranberry beans are beautiful. They're gorgeous, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And they're, I like how silky they are. Mm-hmm. So is it. this going to be your next thing then? Maybe. Packaging <laughs> beans? I, you know, it, I have dipped down that <laughs> idea a little bit, but I'm trying to control my okay. impulses a little bit. Because we know a guy. We know a bean uh-huh, farmer. We'll we put know, you together. We know a guy. Oh, my dad grows beans too. Oh, he does. Oh, yeah. I had a long conversation with him about shifting one of the old farmsteads into a dry bean packaging facility. Oh, how'd that go? You know, he said maybe in retirement he'd okay. consider it as like a second job. So He didn't say no. He didn't right? say no. So, yeah, maybe if you have me on in five years, I'll be talking about okay. my, my Megan's dryable beans. <laughs> We'll come up with a better name, though, I I promise. I love it. Well, I don't know if we told Megan, but we have this thing called Host Halftime that we do. And I'm kind of anxious to win the trophy back. It's a little competitive. (laughs) You can see why. I know. Hold on. It's a golden trophy. So you can see why we're competitive. a beautiful golden piece of coin. Yeah, I know. And Heather is currently the trophy. We're, we're tied yep. up. Jen has one win. I have one. So this is kind of a big, big deal today. All right. It is. So basically what we want you to do is ask us questions and quiz our knowledge. Because our the idea is to retain this knowledge. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Just don't a- ask That's us the about hard acres part. again. Oh, boy. I always get stuck on that. What was the last question? Oh, the, the last one was okay, but then we had to do, was it the corn one? Where oh, they... and then, well, then we had to race about the beans. I mean... That was stressful. If they, you give fine. us a time yeah, limit, just, I mean, fine. Just ask be, us anything. Just ask anything. Us. All right. So my trivia question for you is, how many pounds of food are wasted in the United States each year? Pounds. Okay. She told us the percentage. I know. Pounds. Ooh, that's hard. And okay. I'll give you a hint. And who's ever closer wins. Okay. It's in the billions. Okay. Billions of pounds. Billions mm. of pounds. Yes. Oh, 40? And four? 119. What? I wow. had 40. Heather had yeah. four. That's we incredible. Weren't even, we weren't even kind of That's close. really sad. It's very sad. It is a uh. tremendous amount of food. A tremendous... Yeah, it's just unfortunate. People don't see throwing food as throwing money. And on average, it equates out to about $2,000 a year for a family of four. Right. It's yeah, huge. It, it's huge. I think of like... For myself, I think of the broccoli I put in those darn drawers in the fridge, and then it goes bad. Mm-hmm. Didn't you show something? And at a the life of a strawberry. Yeah, it was very memorable. I it know. was a sad, sad story. And a every time I throw or... food, no, literally, you guys, you have to watch that. It's a very tragic story of, of a, a beautiful strawberry. strawberry. It just goes through. Um, it's, it's called the extraordinary life of strawberry. Okay. And it's from the time that the sun shines down on the soil and this little mm-hmm. strawberry plant emerges and it's just beautiful and ripening in the sun. Mm-hmm. The farmer pricks it. And the immense journey and yep. hands and effort that goes to bring that to the grocery store where it finally is there, it gets purchased. The family brings it home and is so mm-hmm. excited. They wash the strawberries, eat one, put the container in the back of the fridge and then you can just slowly see Aww. it like it's wilting sad. down. The poor little strawberry. And you just think about about like all the time, energy, yes. effort. I mean, thinking that you buy that for $2.99 or mm-hmm. whatever the price is right. for that little package of strawberries and you're like, how on earth can that cost that little? Right. But then we know how much, how right. just there's, there's a lot of factors mm-hmm. within all of that. But 
it just makes you it does make you sad and it makes you realize though how much education is important because there's so much you can do with food that's turning I mean that's really how I learned how to cook is mm-hmm. I was working at the co-op da- downtown mm-hmm. and the produce manager would say okay this is about to turn you got to yep. use it yep mm-hmm. so we'd be roasting vegetables or we'd Soup turn the or... strawberries into pies yeah, or yeah. so there's so much that can be done if you think of it as a challenge mm-hmm. yes absolutely. instead of saying oh this is bad throat out absolutely absolutely and then just getting people to yeah see it as a challenge mm-hmm. see it as an opportunity but then also time and, yeah. and finding time for That's people right. to do that because yep. I was in the exact same position last night I had squash and onions and carrots and celery that like all needed to go yeah. and I was like okay just make squash soup make squash I know, soup you like, gotta make but squash what else? yeah and then but then I've got like this list of all these other yeah. things to do but I'm like no you are committed to your vegetables did you You're do good. it you I, made the soup I did it you good thought for of the you. strawberry I didn't you did. yeah. thought of the strawberry <laughs> I did I did and I thought about being on this show this morning <laughs> yeah. and I'm like alright you gotta hold up to your make the soup yeah if you had to throw those away last night you'd feel like a super jerk but you do feel good when you're able to use yeah, that ingredients and absolutely. use it all, not let it go to waste. Right. 100%. And yeah, thinking about that, like looking at the base of that ingredients, that's probably $10, $15 worth of yes, food right. that I would have just been throwing away. And now I have lunches for the weekend right. and, and you're, next week. You're or, saving and then you're not spending yeah. on the additional lunches. And having something nutritious. Yes. And I love squash soup. Me too. <laughs> all right. What else you got here, Megan? All right. So what is the most commonly grown produce in the garden in America? Oh, I want to change my answer. Can I? <laughs> I didn't see yours. Okay, good. <laughs> no cheating. <laughs> We've got a couple of tomatoes, and it is tomatoes. Yes! I had carrots because I was thinking of our mini horse, Oh, and that's what he would want. He would but want But then I thought, it's got to be tomatoes, it's right? Yes. It's got to be tomatoes. Totally. Yep. And just people who do those, like, single plants. Right. Yeah. And everybody like loves the topsy-turvy. The fresh- Isn't that mm-hmm. something? Like, you hang it mm-hmm. upside down or something. Yeah, I've never, I tried one of those, and I didn't have success, but. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just need to dig in the dirt. <laughs> it feels better. Yep, it does. All right. How many total little free gardens are there in the country and oh. the globe? Okay. I love that you have some in Europe. What are they growing? I don't know. I don't know. I think it changes. Do You, you should be able to go visit them. 360. So Jen yes. is close. Yeah. yeah. The trophy yes. is <laughs> Ta-da. Here we go. It's okay. Oh, the trophy doesn't really go with switch. my decor anyway. Yeah, it, right. it doesn't know. go with my decor. Next time, my house. Heather. Next time, <laughs> I will keep it proudly on my side. I love that trophy. That is awesome. It's just like golden and glorious. Golden glorious trophy. Yep, I love it. Well, we weren't. We learned a lot. We did. Thank you so much. I feel like there's a ton we didn't cover, but I know we'll have to have you back again. I would be glad to. This was so fun and I'm so grateful to be here. So thank you. So wait, tell us one more thing about First Fridays. We can find you. Yeah. So go to our website, foodofthenorth.com. Okay. We do a monthly event, like I mentioned, that focuses on food and farming first Friday of each month. So we'll be back on February 3rd um, for our uh, 2023 kickoff. And we're having a conversation 
We just met with our um, speakers yesterday, actually, but it's going to be about um, indigenous foods of the Americas. So you mentioned Burn Bombs. It's two of the chefs from Burn Bombs. I just read about her. I need to come. Yes. You should. You should. (laughs) Candace Stock and Edward Rodriguez. Candace has Native American heritage. Edward has Mexican heritage. And they've done some amazing dinners that like blend the foods of like Canada and North America going down to Mexico and South America. Right. So they're going to kind of talk about their traditional family food ways and then how they're incorporating that into the work that they're doing today. So that's exciting. It's going to be awesome. So I would love for you both to join us. I think we should take a road trip. We have one final question that we like to ask our guests. And what about North Dakota agriculture do you find is the most exciting for you? What do you like about being a part of North Dakota agriculture the best? Oh gosh, the best. Um, Well, growing up in North Dakota, you obviously feel an immense connection to the food and the land and the people of this Mm -hmm. place. My family homesteaded here in the late 19th century. So I'm sixth generation North Dakotan. So I really, I love North Dakota. Um, I love the diversity that we have in agriculture in this state. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel really lucky to work for North Dakota State University where I see kind of the agricultural landscape in other places. And in North Dakota, we grow 40 different commodities. So we have a very diverse agriculture mm-hmm. place, which I know sets us apart from a lot of places. And just thinking about our our place in the world and our, um, well, now I'm going to pivot for a second, but have you heard of an article called What is Northern Food? No. Um, Google it. It was an amazing article written by a James Beard award-winning writer down in the Twin Cities. And he just talks about this food that is grown here in the North and how during the window of time when we're able to grow food, mm-hmm. the 90 to 120 days a year, we can grow anything here. We have this amazing fertile land. We have an abundance of freshwater fish and um, rangeland for producing livestock. We we can produce anything here. But then in the months that we don't, mm-hmm. we live without. And he's like, and he just talks about how we we celebrate it so much when we have it, and we found mm-hmm. so many creative ways to preserve it when we don't. Mm-hmm. True. It's just a I don't know. I I, I think that it's a, a unique place in the world. I love where we we're from, and I think that our food culture is just getting better and better with the restaurants mm-hmm. and markets and different people that are bringing their unique flares to mm-hmm. food here that it's just going to be fun to see how it continues to unfold. I've been in it for 10, 15 years now, and yeah. I feel like I've seen so much change yep. and Same. it'll be fun to just see how it continues to evolve. I agree. Absolutely. So we have more podcast yes. scheduled, I know. So Including we're going to be my twin sister. Yes. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm a twin as well, but you know. <laughs> I'm just between two twins. You know, <laughs> and a dietitian. Yes. <laughs> it's really exciting. But yeah, t- tune in on tune in. YouTube, anywhere you listen to podcasts, listen to our podcast. Yes. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Common Ground North Dakota podcast. Make sure to follow us on social media and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Most importantly, send us your questions about North Dakota agriculture by visiting our website. You might win a prize. We'll see you in the next episode of the Common Ground North Dakota podcast.